Welcome to Saga Thing, where we're putting the sagas of the Icelanders on trial. I'm John. And I'm Andy. Each week we choose a saga each week. Hold on, we gotta fix that. Well, you always say each week. It's not actually true. No, not (laughs) true. Each episode, perhaps? Yeah. In each episode, we choose a saga, discuss its plot and themes, and then judge the story and its characters at the Saga Thing. Welcome back, John. Thanks, you too. Uh, And a happy new year to our listeners. Here we are in 2014. Yeah, so what did you do with your holidays there, John? Uh, well, I did some grading, did some lesson planning, and, uh, had a kid. Oh, really? Well, congratulations. Yep. I had Thank no you idea. Much. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> very unconvincing. Uh, <laughs> how, how is everybody? Uh, everybody's doing great. Uh, this is my, uh, second son, uh, John Leopold. Um, so, uh, he's doing great. He's fat and happy, just the way we like a baby to be. Awesome. Uh, so we're happy. Well, if anybody hears any crying, uh, in the background while we're recording these things, you'll know that, uh, it's, uh, little John and you can excuse him. Or it's possibly just Andy <laughs> sort of taking a moment off, off mic. <laughs> <laughs> well, what better way to kick off our new year of saga thing than with the saga Hen Thor's saga? Uh, I'm not sure what you mean by that. Yeah, neither am I actually. Let's just jump into the intro, shall we? Go for it. Now, this week represents a bit of a departure for us in that we're kind of talking for the first time about a saga that neither of us has ever taught or written about. In all honesty, John, I've never even read this one before you recommended it for the podcast. Really? No. Although I should say that I was excited about reading a saga about a man whose nickname involves farmyard poultry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's certainly understandable. Um, Now, I guess this sort of thing is going to happen more regularly as we move forward. Yeah, but that's part of why we wanted to do this podcast in the first place. It's an opportunity to read sagas that we weren't familiar with, right? Right, exactly. I mean, it's, it means that we're occasionally surprised by events as we encounter them for the first time in the saga. Uh, I mean, while I've read this one, I hadn't so much as glanced at it in years. And I'd forgotten a lot of the character stuff uh, that we're given. Yeah, in short, I think we're both pretty happy with this one, aren't we? Yeah, I think so. Do you mind if I start with a quick observation, though? Can I stop you? Highly unlikely. Well, feel free then. All right, so... When I first picked up this saga, I thought that I would like Henthorier a lot. Uh, you mean like the actual guy, the actual person? Yeah, that's what I mean. The saga's named after him, Henthorier. Uh, so I figured he must be the protagonist and, the, you know, the funny nickname, Hen. kind of intrigued me. <laughs> <laughs> You're easily pleased. How do you feel about him now? I hate the guy. I can't stand him. <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, the saga introduces him with the disclaimer that nobody likes him. I know, but the saga's named after him. So even then, I thought we'd sympathize with him or find some reason to excuse his reputation. Did you learn nothing from Eric the Red saga? No. I, I just, I was under the impression that the saga author would redeem the guy at some point and we'd be cheering for him by the end. His name's Hen Thorir. Hen! Uh, it, it, that never really happens, does it? No, never. He's deplorable. Probably one of the most unlikable characters in all the sagas that I've read. And I'm glad he gets his head cut off. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel better now? Yeah, I feel better. Well, I thought I just thought I'd lay my cards out on the table right away. Okay. We can start now. Where do we begin, John? Uh, well, we usually start with the word count. Right. This is another short one, which is part of why we picked it, right? Well, I mean, let's not give out all of our trade secrets, but yes. <laughs> um, Henthor's saga measures up almost exactly with our Provincial benchmark. It's uh, 8,910 words long, or 0.976 of, six of a Provincial saga. <laughs> That's it's, so, it's still a ridiculous measurement, but anyway, it's really close. It is. So it's important to say at the outset, before we start this thing off, that that's pretty much where the similarities end between Hrofenkel and Henthor saga. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, for starters, the number of named figures in this saga is exponentially higher than the barely two dozen in Hrofenkel. Oh, definitely. I mean, the cast includes 
some of the great names from saga literature in supporting roles. Um, I would say in some ways, Henthora's saga is as important for the way it ties together stories from other sagas as it is for its insights into law and culture in Iceland. Very well put. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> it's certainly important for understanding some of the dynamics at play in the sagas of the Borgafjord region. Yeah, definitely. I, I actually look forward to digging into Ale Saga and Laxdala Saga again, since they both feature so many of the major players in this saga. And the author of Henthora's saga wastes no time in introducing us to all of them. Yeah, sadly, no, he does not. He hits us with all of them at once, doesn't he, right in the first chapter? Yeah, the saga begins by laying out several family groups right away. Uh, the names and connections can be a little overwhelming, uh, even for people familiar with saga writers' penchant for genealogical prefaces. It's certainly not uncommon for writers to provide two or three families at the outset of the story, but this one gives us six distinct units, <laughs> each of which provides the background for one of the major players in the saga, and it's rapid-fire stuff and very exhausting. Yeah, I mean, by my count, the writer identifies 32 people by name in the first six paragraphs, <laughs> uh, along with a dozen or so place names. Uh, like a lot of sagas, the preface uses uh, family trees to add weight to the saga by showing its links to other famous figures of the age. Right. But for our purposes, I think we're going to skip that list and get right into the action. Well, let's not be too hasty. I mean, don't you think everyone wants to learn about Tunguad and Blundkettle? At the outset, we have these two prominent men named Tunguad and Blundkettle. Each of them goes on. No, no, no. Let's move on. I'm going to sum it up like this. (laughs) Folks, if you haven't read Henthor's saga yet, but you plan to, don't get discouraged by the opening. Things get moving really quickly once Henthor shows up, and we'll leave it at that. Okay, well, that that's true. Okay, so let's start with Henthor himself. Fine. Henthor turns out to be a rather unscrupulous businessman who doesn't mind driving a hard bargain, even at the expense of his customers. How's that? Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, he's so bad that the Better Business Bureau's probably got a big file on this guy. I don't think they have a Better Business Bureau in 10th century Borgafjord. I know that. Well, but they do have a highly developed code of honor and reputation, which I suppose could stand in for the Better Business Bureau in this case. Yeah, that's a fine point. Well, regardless of his poor reputation, after all of his buying and selling, he ends up a very wealthy man with a large farm at Vaughton, just above Northertunga. Now, Henthor's early success doesn't stop him from wheeling and dealing, though. He's Once he's settled at Vaughton, he starts acting as kind of a money lender, and before too long, everyone in the district seems to owe him money. And the first chapter concludes with a pretty definitive statement about his the state of his popularity. It says, There was scarcely a man more detested than was Henthorir. <laughs> So, were you still feeling bad for him at this point? Were you still trying to find a way to like him? Honestly, yeah, I was. I had hopes that he was going to be redeemed, I said. (laughs) How long did it take you to give up on that? Not long at all. Uh, I think I started to dislike him right away in Chapter 2 when he forces his way into Arngrim's family group. You really start to get a sense of his curmudgeonly character then. He's not very tactful, is he? No. Uh, Okay, well, so let's set the stage a little bit. Okay. So, Henthor has been lending out a lot of money and people aren't paying him back as quickly as he'd like. And rather than naturally developing relationships with these people and earning their trust, he decides to visit the local chieftain named Arngrim the Gothi and buy a relationship. Yeah, and he he doesn't do it, I mean, tactfully at all. He sort of strolls in and says, so I'm taking your son Helgi home with me. Um, well, as a foster child. I mean, not kidnapping him, but right. you know, as a foster child. And you'll pay me back by supporting me in my claims against debtors. Yeah, it's pretty blunt. And... Arngrim isn't really impressed since he immediately refuses, but then Hendor offers to give Helgi half of his now immense wealth if Arngrim agrees to the fostering arrangement. 
which of course he has to agree to. I mean, he says something like, I think it's a proven fact that one doesn't turn down a good offer. Yeah, not a smart move, though. Well, I mean, the way I see it, Arngrim is kind of uh, a small player in the region. I mean, he's a gothi, but he's not uh, the most powerful man around by any stretch. Exactly. Henthor is not a chieftain, but he's a very wealthy guy. And Arngrim is either aware of the benefits of having a guy like Henth- with Henthor's wealth under his wing, uh, or he's a little bit worried about his own finances and sees this as a way to help himself. Yeah, or it's probably both at the same mm-hmm. time, right? It works well for Henthor, too, since he now has the support of a local chieftain in his legal cases, which he has a lot of since he's a moneylender and a rather difficult person to deal with. Yeah. Uh, now, the saga shifts over to one of the other major figures in the area, a more powerful chieftain named Tungu Od. We're introduced to him when he tries to assert his right to set prices in the region on imports by imposing an embargo on a newly arrived ship belonging to a man named Orn the Norwegian. Orn doesn't want Odd to set the price for his goods. Yeah, and I think we have to read this as evidence of Tungu Odd's arrogance, which is mm-hmm. important to the saga writer. It's an early indicator that he's at least thinking in part uh, of a critique of late Icelandic Storgothar, those super chieftains who tore Iceland apart in the 13th century. Sure, I mean, well, yes, but as we'll see in other sagas, Tungu Odd is notable for his arrogance in general. True, but this saga author immediately introduces Blunkettle, another local chieftain who was described in the genealogies of Chapter 1 as one of the wealthiest men and the best man in the time of old religion. Now, if Tungu Ad is the representative of the greedy, self-serving chieftains of the 13th century, then Blunkettle is this figure of a kind-hearted, compassionate, and thoughtful chieftain. Were there any of those in the 13th century? You know, I honestly don't know. We tend to hear more about the bad ones, don't we? (laughs) But mm-hmm. I prefer to think of him as a figure of what the saga author and his audience hope to see in their chieftains. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, whereas uh, Tunguod bullies Orn, Blunkettle welcomes him into his home and offers him protection without a thought for compensation. I mean, although, to be fair, he does say that he knew Orn's father, and so he's acting out of a sense of duty for the son of an old friend. Yeah, but even that is a point in Blunkettle's favor, I think. Mm-hmm. He's selflessly putting himself at risk by getting involved in this dispute. And mm-hmm. to be fair, it's not like he's lifelong friends with Orn's father. They spent some time together as children, and that's it. Blunkettle's going above and beyond the call of duty here. I mean, of course, you're putting a very positive spin on it. It's also a good opportunity for him to assert his own authority by disregarding Tunguod's ruling. But whatever its meaning, he and his son, Herstein, take Orn the Norwegian, his crew, and their cargo into their protection. We're told that Odd learns about Blunkettle's betrayal, but he wisely notes that Kettle is both well-liked and ambitious, and he decides to let things stand for now. Though you get the sense that he's not going to forget this slight, is he? Oh no. If saga characters are known for one thing, it's a long memory for insults. Yeah. <laughs> Now, the saga author is going to stick with Blunkettle for just a little bit longer. And I'm thankful that they do, because he turns out to be a really cool guy. (laughs) There's a bad hay crop that fall, and as winter comes on, people are getting nervous about not having enough fodder for their livestock. Mm -hmm. Blunkettle, being a smart chieftain, imposes a strict quota on keeping and slaughtering livestock on his tenants' farmsteads in order to avoid a shortage. But several tenants try to defy him, and they run into trouble once things get going in the winter. There's always a few bad apples. Yeah. Well, at first, Blunkettle is generous to a fault, and he even slaughters 40 of his own horses to free up some fodder for his worst-hit tenants. Uh, but then he tells these tenants to keep this act of generosity quiet, not so much 
out of humility, I think, but more out of fear that more tenants are going to come sucking at his teat. Oh, it's an unfortunate <laughs> choice of words. I'm sorry. You know that happens to me sometimes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just want to point out, though, I mean, that's really a remarkable – I mean, it must be understood to be a remarkable act of generosity. I mean, to slaughter one horse uh, is quite a loss for a farmster to take. But to slaughter 40 horses, he's destroying an entire herd. Oh, yeah. It's, it's basically a third of his herd. Uh, this yeah. is some it's a rough math, but he's got 140 horses. He says, drive mm-hmm. them home and kill 40 of them, and then let's give the uh, the feed to these people that those horses were going to have. It's a remarkable act. Right. I mean, as you say, it ha- he has to be understood here to be generous, sort of beyond the bounds of common expectation. Absolutely. Um, anyways, the two tenants can't keep that quiet for very long at all. They tell everybody <laughs> what a great man Bloonkettle is. Mm-hmm. And near the end of winter... Two more tenants show up, but Kettle's got nothing left to spare at this point. Uh, it's well known that Hen Thorer, though, does have plenty of hay, but the tenants are convinced that he's not going to sell to them without Blunkettle's help. Well, and of course, they're right. I mean, he won't sell to them even with Blunkettle's help. Yeah, this is just another example of Hen Thorer's cruelty. Blunkettle starts off by asking a fair price, but is soon offering huge amounts of money, expensive gifts, whatever else that Thorer might want. Right, and of course, each offer increases uh, the amount of money and therefore honor transferred to Thorir should he accept. Right, but he doesn't, of course. He's got no interest in honor. All Hen Thorir cares about is money. And finally, after trying to reason with this guy, Blunkettle decides to just take the hay without permission. But he leaves ample compensation for it. That's a really important point. He takes the hay, but mm -hmm. he gives a lot of money for it. Yeah, there's a lot going on in that scene. I mean, the, the laws surrounding hay usage were actually fairly controversial in Iceland. And there are some scholars who believe this entire saga exists really just as a pretext for discussing hay law. Hay law? Really? Yes. John, we've got a couple dozen killings and a marriage to get through. But sure, if you want, let's talk about hay laws. Don't don't underestimate the importance of fodder regulations to a well-ordered society. No, you wouldn't. (laughs) I would not dare. Uh, in this case, what people are seeing uh, is evidence of Iceland chafing under Norwegian rule after the 1262 capitulation of the island to Norway. Ah, so this is one of those laws. Yeah. Uh, the Hay Laws were introduced by Magnus VI, who was king from 1263 to 1280, right around the time Henthor's saga was written. Uh, the law was enacted in response to a series of bad crop years in Iceland, and it required that farmers sell their hay to neighbors if they were in need of it, or pay a fine if they refused to sell. So essentially, anyone who didn't want to sell their surplus hay to a neighbor had to pay a luxury tax on it. That sounds fair enough, I think. Well, Magnus thought so. (laughs) Uh, The problem was the automatic response to centralized authority in Iceland. People who might have been quite willing to share their hay with a neighbor would refuse to do so on principle, because no Norwegian king was going to tell them what to do. Yeah, well, I can see that. But I think the saga makes it pretty clear that Henthor is a big jerk for refusing to sell his hay to Blunkettle, right? Well, right. But, of course, the saga author is not necessarily neutral in this. If the mm-hmm. hay law scholars are right, what we're looking at here is a saga writer adding pro-Norwegian propaganda to his writing, possibly in order to attract Norwegian patronage um, and well, possibly just in support of these un- unpopular laws. I guess that makes some sense. This is around the time that the Norwegian kings are openly hiring Icelandic writers to produce biography sagas of their families. That's true. Uh, in fact, uh, King 
Hakon uh, commissioned a biography of his own, uh, Hakon being Magnus's father. Uh, the biography was written by Sterla Thorthurson, nephew of the infamous Snorri Sturluson. A good old Snorri Sturluson. We, has, we haven't mentioned him in a while, have we? Uh, yeah, no, we haven't. Um, the saga that was commissioned uh, only survives in a fragment, but we know it was called the, Sa- the Saga of Magnus Lawmender. So the whole law code thing was apparently very important to Magnus and his father. Yeah, it's not a very subtle title, is it? No. Yeah. Well, anyway, legal precedent aside, Henthor deeply resents Blundkettle's theft, as he calls it, mm-hmm. of the uh, hay. And so he sets his sight on revenge right away. Sure. Uh, which brings us, of course, to the central agitating force in this saga, which is Henthor's desire to stir up trouble for what he thinks of as his enemies. Yeah. In essence, Henthor rides around to his neighbors and announces that he's been robbed by Blunkettle. He rides to Arngrim Gothi, the father of his foster son Helgi, and then to Tungu Ad, both chieftains who have reason to want to take Blunkettle down a peg. And he does it in such a pathetic, sniveling way, too. That is his way, isn't it? Yes, sadly it is. But in both cases, he's misjudged his superiors, and they're smart enough to ask Henthor's foster son Helgi what really happened. And Helgi explains that the story had been exaggerated and that Blunkettle had acted quite fairly. Now, for obvious reasons, neither man is willing to side with Henthor, and he's got to go home angry. Well, I mean, you'd think Henthor would just leave Helgi at home if he can't trust him to keep his mouth shut. I mean, I'm not on, I'm not on Henthor's side or anything, but that just seems like obvious tactics. Yeah, it's probably fair to say that Henthor is not remarkable for his intelligence. He does have better luck, though, when he finds Tungu Ad's son Thorvald at Arngrim's house, and he really plays up to him, puts on a good act. Yeah, Thorvald's an interesting figure. Um, he's sort of the classic restless chieftain's son. Mm-hmm. He's eager to make a name for himself. And Henthor spots him as being just the kind of man who's likely to fall for Henthor's trumped-up charges against Blundkettle. Okay, but at the same time, I think the saga's audience would see the merit in Henthor's case. He's a jerk, yes, right? But he's been forced by a social superior into surrendering his goods. That just doesn't jibe well with medieval Iceland social ideals, even after the start of the Norwegian rule. Now, I should add that I'm not defending Henthor here. I hate the guy. I'm just playing a bit of devil's advocate. It's funny that we're both spending a lot of time explaining that we're not defending Henthor for anything. No, it's just it speaks to how unlikable <laughs> he's he is. Truly, he's truly an awful person. And you uh, know what's no, interesting I mean, about how awful he is is, mm-hmm. you know, whereas other saga characters do horrible things in terms of maiming and killing mm-hmm. and pillaging, we're willing to accept that at, to some extent. Well, they do it with style. Yeah. Henthor has no style. Yeah, so so we, I guess that speaks to our horrible values, doesn't it? <laughs> He's a well, bit stingy. Yes. <laughs> um, we may be looking at kind of both issues, right? Legitimate outrage, um, but also coupled with Thorvald's desire to prove himself to be a man of consequence. Uh, or, so or, Thorvald's, way, or Thorvald's desire to get some money, I think, is what really comes into it. Well, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, but it works. I mean, Thorvald is sort of uh, recruited to help Henthor and then convinces Arngrim to come along. And they gather a group of men to ride with Henthor to Blunkettle's house. And it's worth noting that when the parties meet in the field, Henthorir typically shows up with only two men. <laughs> His brother Varfari and his foster son Helgi, who probably wishes he'd stayed at home. <laughs> um, and when uh, when Thorvald asks Henthor why he's brought so few men, doesn't he say something like, "Well, I knew you'd have enough guys." So yeah, he's such a tool. 
when Henthor's group arrives, uh, Blundkettle behaves reasonably and calmly toward them, uh, and is openly friendly to Thorvald. Yeah. But Thorvald's determined to show off, and he insultingly announces a lawsuit against Blundkettle on Henthor's behalf. Uh, Blundkettle's sort of angry about Thorvald's behavior, but he controls himself and walks back into his house without blowing up. Ah, but Blundkettle's not alone at the house. Orn the Norwegian, if you remember, is still staying with Blundkettle, and there's Mm -hmm. no love lost between him and Thorvald's father, Tungu Odd. Now, Orn picks up his bow and fires an arrow at Thorvald's group. Just as they're getting ready to leave, he kind of shoots randomly. He's not aiming for Mm -hmm. anyone in particularly. And the arrow hits Henthor's foster son and Arngrim's actual son, Helgi, fatally Mm -hmm. wounding him. Now, this is the first death scene in the saga. It's actually quite a ways in for the first death. Yeah. Uh, but it's a doozy. I mean, Henthor immediately shoes everybody else away. He won't let anyone near Helgi, who's already dead on the ground. But he then claims that Helgi died in his arms and that Helgi's dying words were a poem. Brenny, brenny, blundkettle ini. Burn, burn, blundkettle inside. <laughs> Everyone assumes that Henthor is making it up because they know Henthor. Yeah. But Arngrim, Helgi's father, doesn't really have any choice but to act on those words. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of Henthor's words versus the dead guy, and mm-hmm. I think Henthor will win the argument. So, yeah, they've right. got to act. And, of course, we've still got Thorvald around to back any stupid idea that Henthor comes up with because <laughs> I don't did, – John, did we mention that Henthor promises half of his wealth? You know, you know, no, no, no. We, I don't think we had. Yeah, um, he's. I mean, not quite bribing Thorvald into helping him, but it doesn't. It doesn't come far from that. Yeah. Um, well, I can't believe we missed that. You really take every opportunity you can to knock Henthor, don't you? Yeah, I do, because he deserves it, and I think the the saga author wants me to. Mm-hmm. I'm just doing my job. Well, you're quite right in this case. I mean, it is Thorvald who leads the attack on Blundkill's farm that night at Henthor's urging. Yeah, and of course by attack. You mean they set fire to the farmstead while everyone's sleeping inside. Yeah, but I mean, they're not going to attack yeah, and face then, to face. And then they refuse to allow anyone inside to get out. Mm-hmm. And they stand around to make sure everyone in the house burns to death. Okay? Mm-hmm. So when Blunkettle, may that great man rest in peace, asks <laughs> if there's any way to make an agreement, Thorir stands out there and says, there's no choice but to burn. Mm-hmm. Look, I'm agreeing with you. These are not nice men. <laughs> Look, I'm just making the point that the saga author's making. The narrative is as spare as ever, but it's clear we're meant to be revolted by the action of the burners, and especially Henthorder. I mean, there are actually a lot of fairly repugnant people in this saga, uh, and they're all kind of looking for a way to take advantage of the situation. Uh, when Blundkettle's son, Herstein, who actually wasn't at home during the attack, uh, asks for help from Tunguod the next morning... Tunguod seizes the opportunity to claim Blunkettle's land for himself on the ground that there isn't a habitable dwelling there. And so on a legal technicality, it's not currently owned. Yeah, yeah that's very sleazy, too. <laughs> I mean, here you are. Your father and the rest of your family and friends have just been burned alive. Well, their bodies are still smoldering, actually. Yeah, exactly. So imagine you're standing there with the powerful chieftain, Tunguod, who you've asked to help you. And the guy bends down picks up a firebrand and claims the property for himself since, as he puts it, there's no habitable dwelling there. Well, the dwellings are still smoldering, too. (laughs) (laughs) 
and then he hops on his tiny horse and rides off over the hill back to his farm. What the hell's going on here? Well, fortune favors the bold, I suppose. <laughs> The only silver lining for Herstein is that he's got his friend Thorbjorn, and Thorbjorn notices that Orn the Norwegian's cargo seems to have miraculously survived in an outbuilding. Mm, that's right, yeah. yeah. Orn was in the house with Blundkettle uh, when it burned, so I guess he wasn't going to be needing his stuff anymore. <laughs> it's very unfortunate, but it's nice that something worked out for Herstein. And with Thorbjorn's help, he salvages the goods and the livestock from the property. Right, and Herstein's still determined to build support and get revenge on the burners for the death of his father. So he contrives a complicated plan with his foster father, Thorbjorn, to enlist some of the biggest names around for his cause. First, they trick Thorkel's scarf into supporting them. Then, Thorkel helps them trick Gunnar Hlifersen into helping them in exchange for Herstein marrying Gunnar's daughter, Thurid. Yeah, that one's pretty clever. They wake Gunnar up in the middle of the night, and they make him come outside, and they won't let him get in out of the cold until he agrees to the marriage. Yeah, I like that one. Is that, uh, I think on at one second. point they're actually... Hmm? Can I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but is that true that they're outside? Yeah, Gunnar, uh, that's, that's the whole thing with, I'm going to hit your face with my sword if you well, don't I know they get want your him to, master out here. I, I think they want him to come to the door so that they can talk to him. I think no, no, the they issue... make him come outside, and they close the door behind him. Is that and right? And they stand on both, they stand on his cloak so that he can't get away. <laughs> I didn't even notice that. Uh, yeah, it's it's actually, it's funny as hell. Um, uh, yeah, Gunnar got up and went out to the yard, dressed in a shirt and light linen breeches, a cloak wrapped around him, black shoes on his feet, sword in his hand. Uh, and as but soon Thor as he goes... told him that they, they were several altogether. Gunnar went further out into the hayfield, grabbed the door ring, and slammed the door shut behind him. Ah, interesting, okay. So he I locks, read that as they... They, they pull the door shut yeah. so he can't get back inside. Then they got go it. around to the back of the house... And they sat on cl- so close on each side of him, they were sitting on the cloak Gunnar had wrapped around himself. That's so he hilarious. can't get up without losing his cloak, and they've locked the door. <laughs> Brilliant. It's freaking Well hilarious. played, Thorkel. Well played. So Gunnar is now sort of part of their crew, and he then helps them by tricking his brother-in-law, Thord Bellower, into committing himself to the support of the new married couple. And, of course, by extension... To Herstein's plans for revenge, since right. the Herst- marriage makes Herstein a kinsman of Thord's. Exactly. Herstein ends up with quite a crew of supporters. Thord Bellower alone is a significant figure to have on your side. Mm-hmm. Combined yep. with Gunnar, Thorkel, and Thorbjorn, Herstein's got most of the big men in the region in his corner. Right, and the opposing force, uh, Henthor, Arngrimgothi, Tunguod, and Odd's son, Thorvald, is nearly as impressive, but they're less unified. Yeah, they're very individualistic characters, mm-hmm. aren't they? Uh, which, of course, in some ways, as you've said, is, you know, it's that's that sort of classic Icelandic attitude. Exactly. Uh, when Herstein's crew summons Arngrim and Henthor to the Thingness thing for the burning, their enemies scramble into action, but they don't seem to coordinate their plans at all. Yeah, what follows is like a powder keg burning its fuse. The entire region is now up in arms, and all the main figures are racing around trying to get their friends armed and ready. All except one. Uh, Henthor in the middle of all this takes 11 friends and flees the district and no one's sure where he's gone typical you know things get a little bit heated in the neighborhood because of him and now he's (laughs) off hiding somewhere ah he's despicable patience patience yeah well while Henthor is busy hiding from his enemies hostilities get underway even before the assembly at Thingness Herstein's crowd 
which numbers 200 men with all their followers, runs into Tungu'ad and 400 men on their way to Thingness. There's a pitched battle, and five men are killed, one of Tungu'ad's and four of Thord Bellowers. And there are lots of injuries on both sides. Mm-hmm. And, of course, since local hostilities are now running so high, the case is referred to the All-Thing. Uh, Harristine falls ill, and he can't make the trip to the All-Thing, but the others go without him. Thord Bellower, though... Uh, plans his own attack. He waits outside the thing for Tungu'od and attacks him again when he arrives. Now, we got to point out that things are just completely out of hand at this point. Absolutely. There are 600 men involved in the first <laughs> battle between these two, and this time we're told that Odd has 300 men and Thord has a lot more than that. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are numbers that's hard to reconcile with the sparse population of the island. You know, I was thinking the same thing. I mean, are we dealing with poetic license here? Or is this a post-1262 author emphasizing the chaos caused by the powerful chieftains of the later Commonwealth era? Uh, oh, I think it's all, almost always that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and I think, <laughs> I think part, of the, part of the message here, too, is, is, is uh, an author who's pushing against that fierce independence, trying to say that it's not uh, a reasonable way to go. Now, whether you want to see that as Norwegian propaganda or if you want to see that as Christian uh, moralizing, uh, I don't know, or, or just common although, sense, damn it. Although, <laughs> common <laughs> sense. Uh, I think to a degree it's hard sometimes to differentiate between those two things. Remember yeah. that even the Christianization of Iceland came under Norwegian pressure. Sure. You know, and so I'm not always but sure also, that uh, Christian moralizing and Norwegian interference were always understood to be distinct and different things in Iceland. Well, perhaps, but we're talking about uh, roughly 300 years later. Mm -hmm. And so I think the Christian moralizing can be quite possible in the 13th century Mm -hmm. since uh, uh, it's a thoroughly Christian country. But so how does Christian moralizing result in overstating the number of people involved in the fighting? Oh, it doesn't. I'm just talking about (laughs) the the be nice to your neighbors bit. I see. I see. (laughs) Anyways, Thord's strategy works. Six of Odd's men are killed, and he's forced to retreat and set up his tents outside the usual campgrounds of the All-Thing. And when the case is heard, Arngrim the Gothi and most of the Burners are sentenced to full outlawry, and Thorvald Oddson is sentenced to only minor outlawry. But still, the bad guys get theirs. Right. All except for Henthor. Henthor is an outlawed. Uh, So what happens to him is that while the All-Thing is going on, Harristine, who was left behind due to a cold is summoned by a farmer with a sick cow. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? What does... That doesn't make any sense. (laughs) (laughs) What does Hairstein know about sick cows? Well, that's exactly what Hairstein says. (laughs) Um, He quickly works out that the farmer is trying to lure him into a trap set by the missing Henthorer. Oh, so you're telling me Henthorer is finally going to do something? Mm -hmm. Well, he's going to try. Um... So Harristine calls his men and intentionally springs the ambush. Henthor and his men attack, but they're quickly outnumbered and killed. Yay! There you go. Uh, Harristine then rides to the All-Thing to announce Henthor's death and to be present for the outlawing of the others. Wait, you missed the best part. Oh, (laughs) I was going to save that for the bloodshed. Well, it's worth noting. All right, go ahead. I'll give you the big moment since you've been waiting for it. Thank you. I mean, I mentioned it earlier. It's not like I'm spoiling anything. Uh, when Hairstein, before Hairstein goes to the All Thing, he rides over to Henthor's body and lops the head off and carries it with him. Mm-hmm. And it's actually, it's stated very much as he just takes it as a souvenir. He never actually does anything with it. 
Yeah, we're we sort of waiting for him it. to re- reveal it at the all thing, uh, which is what happens to Gretter as Munderson's head in Gretter's saga. Uh, but there's never a moment when the head is revealed. It's just he just sort of rides off with it on his saddle, and that's it. Yeah. Well, you know, I think the the saga author probably hated Henthorir as much as I do, and so it's just like, we, what can we do to this guy? Let's take his head off. Fair enough. Anyway, there's one more loose end we need to tie up, and this mm-hmm. is Tungu Ad's resentment of the alliance of his foes. Now, he plans to attack Gunnar Leiferson's farm in retaliation, but his second son, Thorod, this is all where the genealogies and names mm-hmm. get kind of complicated, but but Odd's second son, Thorod, gets to the farm ahead of him. Mm-hmm. Turns out he's got a thing for Gunnar's daughter. Yeah. He makes Gunnar an offer that he can't refuse. If Gunnar agrees to Thorod marrying his younger daughter, Jofrid, then the marriage alliance will stop Tungu Odd from attacking the farm. And this is actually a fairly dramatic moment. Um, Gunnar doesn't want Thorod for a son-in-law. He's already turned him down once before. Exactly. Uh, but Odd's band of men are literally on the horizon as Thorod makes this offer a second time. And Gunnar doesn't have much time to think it over. It's a clear choice and Gunnar makes it just in time. Tungu Odd arrives in Gunnar's yard where he's confronted by his son who tells him off for threatening his father-in-law-to-be. Imagine Tungu Odd's surprise. <laughs> Gunnar's daughters get married under weird circumstances, don't we? Don't they? Yeah, they do. And then there's one more to come. As the author tells us at the end of the saga, Thorod later disappears in Norway, and Jolfred remarries to one of the sons of Eil Skallagrimson. Oh, uh, why haven't we covered Eil's saga yet? You know, because there's so much to do before we get there. For starters, we've got the entire judgment section to go for Henthor. What happened? What's wrong? <laughs> Nothing. I just think it's funny. All right, Not let's good. get started. <laughs> okay. Best bloodshed. All right, for best bloodshed, um, this saga doesn't actually have a whole lot to offer, which is sad to me because oh, but it's got a couple of great sagas. But it's got a couple of good ones. Uh, a couple of obvious things. I'm going to start with the death of Helgi Arngrimson, the foster son mm-hmm. of. Hen Thorir. Helgi's that guy that uh, kind of spoils many of Hen Thorir's uh, lies. <laughs> but um, he, he takes an arrow from the bow of Orn and dies. And then in his, uh, while he's lying there dead, he's able to apparently recite poetry. It's quite quite nice. Well, I think what's great about that one is that it's not so much the death as the way Hen Thorir sort of manipulates that death. Right, yeah. he sort of he starts he starts creating uh, a dying speech for this poor dead kid. I wonder if if anyone else had been shot, would the the saga have played out the way that it did? Helgi's kind of just very very well placed from the beginning mm-hmm. right up to that moment to kind of bring everyone together. Mm-hmm. Well, and of course, everyone thinks of him as being the voice of reason. You know, they all turn to him whenever Henthor is spewing his lies. Right, they immediately turn to Helgi and say, "So you were there? What happened?" Yeah. Well, you know, and certainly as a reader, he's probably, uh, as far as the, that group of burners, he's the only one that we actually care about because he's the only one so far that appears to be um, wholly good. Mm-hmm. I like that choice. So there you go. Uh, yeah. Death of Helgi. And of course, immediately following on the heels of Helgi's death, we have the burning. Yeah. Which uh, is, we have to talk about that. Sure. I mean, we didn't we didn't include the burnings in Gizli Saga because there were just so many big scenes and beautiful scenes of right. bloodshed. Uh, but burnings are pretty serious things. Uh, what is it with uh, medieval Iceland and people constantly getting burned inside their houses? Well, I think it's an effective way. You're trying to uh, eradicate not just the person but the family 
and sort of remove their footprint from the landscape. And this is the most effective way to do it, I suppose. It's pretty, pretty brutal way of doing well, it, though. <laughs> and I suppose it's also in sort of added brutality. Um, even if people survive, they're then homeless in the Icelandic winter. Yeah. Uh, which is pretty rough. Yeah. Um, and this burning, it's a, it's one of the bad ones because, uh, when Blundkettle asks whether it's possible to negotiate or even to sort of let some of the people inside out. Yeah. Uh, Henthor, in the sort of, you know, cruel way that we expect from him, refuses to allow anyone to leave the house. And so... Yeah, I just picture him kind of rocking on his heels, twiddling his fingers <laughs> and, and smiling to himself. Fiddling while Blundkettle burns. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But so we have, I mean, it's a burning, but it's it's a, it's an especially sort of brutal burning, right? No one is allowed yeah. out until the house collapses in on them and they all die. Right, and typically, I mean, once we get to Njalsaga eventually, but in a lot of the burnings that you see, they, they let women and children out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in this case, it's uh, let, let everyone burn. Right, Thanks right, a lot. absolutely. Thanks a lot, Hentor. And frustratingly, we don't know exactly who's in there, but we'll get to that when we get to body count. Yeah. I'm going to throw in uh, something that Blunkettel does. It's not a typical, but I think we've we've had a, a, a small tradition so far of throwing in some animal things <laughs> in our best bloodshed, going back to Hrofenkel's saga. Uh, the slaughter of the 40 horses oh, sure, is just sure. an interesting one. We don't see it happen. There's no great description of it, but it's worth it's worth noting just because of the uh, the the number of horses mm-hmm. that he's going to head uh, going to go ahead and slaughter so that he can feed his his own men. This is uh, again Blunkettle slaughtering 40 of his own horses so that he can feed uh, the men who actually disregarded his uh, his warnings about how many animals to slaughter before the winter started. Right, no, a remarkable generosity. His own. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah, so I'll throw that one in there. Sure. I don't think it's a great contender to win, but it's worth noting for best Well, and if we count one horse being thrown off a cliff, you know, 40 horses having their throats cut have to at least go in for consideration. Well, these aren't magic horses, well, though. <laughs> it's true. It's hard, hardly <laughs> as remarkable. These aren't witch as, horses. Uh, Frey faxing. Um, and, of course, because I know it will please you, I'm going to include uh, Henthor's beheading, his posthumous beheading. Yeah, if you didn't, I would have. Uh, that the order of things is very specific. Uh, they are all – they're captured, then they're killed, then he's beheaded. Yeah. Uh, Deservedly well, so. Well, so this is – but this is very clearly him just sort of sawing off the head of this – the head off the corpse to carry yep. away with him. He isn't sort of executed by beheading. He's mm-hmm. slaughtered along with his men and then – uh, at that point, Herstein gets down and starts sort of sawing away at his neck to take this thing away with him. Does it say sawing? I no, just doesn't. assumed <laughs> that he. It was. <laughs> I'm just trying to. I'm trying. This is best bloodshed. I'm trying to give it a little bit oh, of flavor. To, well, I'm just assuming that he had a sword handy. He just probably <laughs> made one good swipe of uh, it and then uh, picked up the head. There's no poetry in your soul. Sorry. Yeah. How does one carry a head while you're riding a horse? I imagine I you just tie it on by the hair. Well, I guess you could wrap it in a cloak or something like that, but yeah. What if it falls out? Do you ever just stop it? Well, that's and, why like, you tie it on it? by the hair. <laughs> <laughs> You're assuming he has very long hair. <laughs> Although if you saw the Gizli Saga movie, all those guys had big, bushy hair. See? So it's quite possible. I think of Henthor as having sort of long, straggly, not very well-washed hair. <laughs> right, like a worm tongue or something. Right. <laughs> so what's it going to be, John? We've got oh, four candidates. Boy. Um I mean, not, the, you know what not I the embarrassment of riches that we had in Gizli Saga, is there? Um, no, no, that's the thing. And, you know, like I said, there's nothing uh-huh. really, there's no great descriptions of any of this kind of stuff going on. Um, 
But my, my vote's going to go for the beheading of Henthor, just because it's a fitting end for a horrible fellow. You know what? I think I'm going to go with that, not because of the beheading itself, but because the beheading is utterly pointless. Um, we, I mean, when it, when he's beheaded, I fully expect, because of course then Harristine immediately gets on his horse and rides to the all thing. And I was waiting for that moment when he sort of rolls the head out in the all thing to announce the death. Yeah, it should be dramatic. Or at least shows it to somebody or ties it up on a pole or something. There's nothing. He just takes it as a souvenir. He just hates this guy so much that he wants to be able to, at any moment, sort of look at the severed head and remind himself, yeah. Yeah, I got that guy. And that's just... <laughs> well, you might be reading <laughs> a little bit more into a, it. Sort of a, I, I just feel like there's a sort of otherwise untapped dark side to Harristein that he felt mm. the need to take this guy's head with him at the end of it all. Well, I, if I remember correctly, he gets a lot of credit and his fame rises significantly as a result of mm-hmm. the uh, the killing of Henthor mm-hmm. and the foiling of the ambush. So if for no other reason, then that's a reason enough for it to win. Sure. All right, then. Beheading of Hen Thorir wins Best Bloodshed. Body, body count. count. So for body count this time, uh, once again, uh, we have a an agreement on the number of dead. Yeah. And There's uh, some slight discussion. Well, uh, we had a thought concerning a things, two yeah. individuals, but we, we were very, very close. Well, and of course, we're partly helped by the fact that the body count in this saga is quite low. Very low. Uh, a grand total, I think we came up with, of 26 in the entire yeah, saga. That's right. Uh, and really, until you get to those final chapters, it's starting to look like there just isn't going to be much to go on at all. Yeah, like we said, this is, uh, you know, for, for me, it was the first time reading this one. I thought, when is someone going to die? I, I'm sitting here waiting. <laughs> um, and we actually do have to wait. I mean, it's halfway through the saga before the first person dies. Um, yeah, yeah. When Helgi gets shot, that's the first one. And then immediately following on that, we have a burning. And the burning... But they don't, mm-hmm. you know, they don't tell us how many. And that's... Right. That's frustrating for me and you. Right. I mean, you know, which probably doesn't say anything good about us. But um, <laughs> we're just, you know, we're just trying to do our job and count right. the number of bodies. Right. We know that no one escaped that house, but at no point are we told the names of the people or even the number of the people who were inside. No. Right. Although we should say it's significantly less than it would have been because uh, as soon as the as soon as Bloom Kettle goes into the house, he's suspecting something's going to happen. And he tells uh, as many of his mm-hmm. men as are, are there that they can go home to to their family's houses if they so desire. And I think a good number of them do. Right. And it's worth noting that among the people he sent away, apparently, are his, is his own son. Because Harristine right. is actually off visiting his foster father that night. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we know Blunkettle dies, so he counts. And we know yeah. that he has a house guest, Orin the Norwegian, uh, who's the one who fired that arrow. And he's in the house as well. And we know that because... After the fire is over and after Tungu'od has come and stolen the land, uh, Orn's belongings, all of his possessions, are still in one of the outbuildings. Um, and he's nowhere around to claim right, them. Right, and he's sort of, you know, he does, he's not there anymore to claim them. Uh, so Orn was still in the house when it burned. So we can count him. You know what I wonder? if uh, We didn't mention this in the in the summary, right. but when Orn first comes into Bloonkittle's house... Uh-huh. Um, he is brought there with all of his uh, – all the other merchants, the traders yep. that were on his boat. And then they are all distributed throughout other districts. Right. This is Orn's idea because they're all in trouble. He says, send them to other districts. And Bloonkettle very generously sets it all up and and uh, for, for their own safety. Mm-hmm. Do they have no claim on that uh, property or those goods at all? Well, of course, um, one, 
they sort of are written out of the narrative at this point. So yeah, no. they do kind of disappear and uh, never see them again. But from a legal perspective, of course, they'd have to know that the that the belonging still existed. Right? The the uh, buildings true. were all burned. Uh no one seems to know that the uh the outbuilding holding worn stuff survived. Uh because you can actually follow, you can trace um Orn's possessions for the rest of the saga. Uh they sort of get passed around among that group of guys and Gunnar Hleferson, I think, ends up with them eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sort of stores Which them is away. A good deal. Gunnar really put himself out, you know, giving sure. up his daughter and all that oh. stuff. That's kind of his uh the the price yeah. he takes for for all that. But I mean, there's no reason but. to believe that the Norwegians even know that Orn's stuff survived. So, uh no. Right. So really the the sticking point for that body count is is do we, you know, how how do we count how many people burned inside the right. house? We don't, but we can definitely count Blundkettle and Orn. Right. And so that adds two to the otherwise fairly clear body count. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So 26 uh, and, of course, we did also decide at the very end of the saga, for those of you who have read it, uh, Tunguod's sons, Thorvald and Thorod, both disappear in Norway. And the saga sort of ominously says that they will never return. It doesn't say why. Uh, mm-hmm. At one point, we know Thorvald was captured and enslaved, uh, but it's not clear what happens to either one of them after that. Uh, but we right. decided that does not count since, uh, well – Enslaved is not dead, and there's no indication that they actually die. They just don't return. No. Yeah. Last we hear, they never will return, and Tunguad gets very sick after that. Right. Um, or, or very old. And right. He shows his age. So, yeah, we don't know what happens to them, so we're not going to count them. So, 26 is the final count. 26 it is. Nicknames. Uh, this saga actually does have a handful of interesting nicknames. Uh, they, but they almost come exclusively in that opening chapter with the lengthy genealogies. <laughs> uh, right, in that sort of that rapid-fire set of genealogies that we get right at the beginning of the saga. Uh, yeah. We get a handful of these guys. Uh, so I've got a short list here. Okay. Uh, and I'll just run them by you and see what you think. Uh, one, we've got Tunguod. Sure. Uh, now, when we get a name like Tungod, uh, it's tempting to think that we're dealing with a guy known for a quick wit or for being a troublemaker. Or a very fat tongue. Or a very fat tongue. <laughs> right. A guy has a big problem speaking. Um, sadly, it's must le- much less interesting than that. Uh, in this case... Or is it? Uh, I mean, I'm sorry it is. Uh, tongue is a place name. He's yeah. merely odd from tongue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's... I mean, I, you, if you're <laughs> waiting for me to say something, I have nothing. That's it. He's, yeah. he's odd from tongue. Uh, that's it. Now, our next one is Blundkettle. Blundkettle. Uh, now... He's interesting. Uh, Blundkettle inherits his nickname from his grandfather, uh, who was also named Blundkettle. Kettle is their name, uh, but the nickname there, Blund, is uh, it's a word that means something like uh, dozer or snoozer. Probably is that- means sort of sleepyhead as a nickname. Yeah. Dozer the dozerian. Yes, dozer the dozerian. <laughs> it's, it doesn't say anything good about you that you thought of that or me that I thought of it when I wrote that down. Uh, Did you really? But yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think Sleepyhead ah. is sort of the nickname that we're supposed to go with here. That kind of makes me feel better that you are <laughs> as stupid as I am. Um, of course, we can't skip Henthorir. Yeah, we shouldn't skip him. Um, and his name means exactly what it sounds like. Uh, one of the early items that he carted around for sale uh, was chickens. Well, and let's put it exactly as the saga does. It says, one time he was seen <laughs> carrying a bunch of chickens. Right. And so they started calling him Henthorir. 
I couldn't be more disappointed in the uh, the reveal of his nickname. I actually think no, I actually really like it, and it's because Why? well, it's because the way the name sticks. You have to assume it's meant unkindly. Oh, right? definitely. I mean, Henthor becomes a very wealthy man who sort of throws his weight around, and I think it's mm-hmm. that nickname is a reminder of his humble origins as a peddler. Right? It's a sort of oh, okay. yeah, it's a sort yeah. of no matter how rich you become, you'll always be a chicken seller in my book. <laughs> <laughs> You Henthor. So. <laughs> yeah, well and, and at the very least he's not Rooster Thor, he's Hen. Right, no, exactly. Of course, that's that's a good point. Uh, yeah. uh we've got Thor the Bellower, uh or Thord Yeller. Uh yeah. Now we've seen this guy before. Uh he was a figure in Erbigus saga. Um mm-hmm. he's the one who made that uh all important settlement offer to end the battle at Poop Rock. <laughs> uh you just like bringing up Poop Rock. <laughs> As much and any time you can. I actually, um, yeah, it's, I make a point. If I haven't heard anyone say poop rock all day, I sort of whisper it to myself as I, my head hits the pillow at night. Poop rock. Uh, poop rock. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now his name. Uh, isn't he also, Thord, uh, just before you mm-hmm. get into that, isn't Thord uh, Bellower also the guy that it devises the quarter court system? In Iceland? Or do you don't know? Yes, no, he is. Um, yes, no, I'm okay. sorry, I'm thinking ahead to the fifth court. Uh, which yeah, well, I trust you to kind of know some uh, of these yeah, things. Yeah, no, so. Thor sets up the quarter courts. Um, now, his name, uh, which is linked to this, it means yeller or shouter or bellower. Uh, but I, I believe, and I think most people read it as referring to the authority with which he speaks rather than to the volume at which he speaks. Right. right. I mean, I suppose it can just mean he shouts a lot. But uh, I think most people read it as meaning that his his words carry a great deal of volume and weight. So, okay, right. So the next person we've got is Onand Broadbeard. There's no subtext here, and I don't really have anything to say about it. I just approve of a man with a good broad beard. Yeah, it kind of comes up in almost every saga. There's someone with a, <laughs> well, a beard. Something nickname. beard, yes. And and you always love him. Absolutely. And then our last one is Thorkel Scarf. Thorkel Scarf. Uh, whose name is Trefil. Uh, which is usually translated more as rags or tatters. Right. Uh, although an older translation of the saga gave it as welt. Welt. Uh, and I found one source that wants to translate it slightly more flatteringly as silky. And it's not clear from the context of the saga whether the nickname refers to an item of clothing or not. I mean, certainly scarves are not a an everyday accoutrement in the sagas. But, <laughs> no. uh, but I guess people do occasionally wear them. Uh, but it may also refer to uh, a description, again, of his facial hair, like Onan Broadbeard, that he's got this kind of ragged, tattery kind of beard. All right. So uh, do, I, do we give a, an award for nicknames, don't we? Um, <laughs> it's been a while, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit of a while. Um, what do you think? So who is it going to – I don't know. I mean, it seems obvious to choose Hen Thorir on this one just because it's his saga and he's got that silly nickname. <laughs> I, I, I like Thord Bellower as well, though. So I'm going to go with those two. I'll let you choose who you think it should be. Oh, boy. That's a tough one. Um, Is it that tough, really, John? You just pick one and we move on. It's really not. I mean, I, I, I'm i I'm resisting the idea of Henthor sweeping the awards, but I just can't resist. It's the most ridiculous nickname. It's so clearly meant as an insult. And it's just it's – a, it's a fun name. It's one of those sort of nicknames that make you want to get to know the guy. And then when you do, you're really sorry that you did. Yeah, exactly. I was excited, like I said, to to meet the fellow, and then sourly disappointed well, when I did. Yet another rack up another win for Hen Thor. Notable, Notable witticisms. witticisms. Hey, welcome to Notable Witticisms. <laughs> wow. 
So in notable witticisms, uh, I think we've selected about four of these things. I'm going to start with uh, the the brilliant poem composed by the dead Helgi, Brenny Brenny Blunkettel Inni, Burn Burn Blunkettel Inside. Mm. But of course, not actually composed by Helgi. Oh no, <laughs> no, composed by the 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 scoundrel, <laughs> by the scoundrel uh, Henthor, in order to get things uh, going the way he wants them to go. And also worth noting uh, that this poem that he comes up with and sort of you know claims came from Helgi uh, isn't actually very good. Uh, <laughs> it's not really a. Is that because it doesn't? I mean, it's written as a verse in the saga, but it really it's yeah. it's not so much a verse as several words. <laughs> Well, it's got some alliteration and assonance. There you if you go. Like that there you of. go. Yeah, that's important. Uh, uh, but I would give it. I would give it up for. Uh, you know, maybe we want to include this one and, and and vote for it because it's kind of brilliant on Henthorier's part to come up with this so quickly. He sees Helgi fall. He immediately rushes over to the dead body, leans in, and comes up with a poem while he's leaning down there. Well, that's not much of one. <laughs> well, but still, in the moment, it's kind of clever. <laughs> there once was a man from Reykjavik. <laughs> okay, so my uh my first nominee uh is going to be the <laughs> Herstein's uh understated response to Tungu Odd stealing his father's land uh in the <laughs> aftermath of the burning. Um uh, if right. you remember, what? um Herstein and his his uh, foster father Thorbjorn ask for Tungu Odd's help uh to sort of figure out what happened and to figure out who to blame. Tungu Odd right. agrees to come with them. But when they arrive at the still smoldering ruins of Blunkettle's farm, Tungu'od grabs a burning brand, rides around the farmstead, and claims all the land on the grounds that there's no one living there anymore. Uh, and then immediately rides away, yeah. <laughs> leaving, the leaving Herstein still there. and Thorbjorn standing. <laughs> poor poor Herstein can probably smell his family burning still. <laughs> Uh, and Herstein just sort of looks at his foster father and says, uh, so what do we do now? This didn't turn out very well. <laughs> <laughs> this didn't turn out very well. Yeah, it's a great. It's, a, it's sort of a great, uh, it's a very kind of understated moment. I like that. It's very funny. Um, it's probably not supposed to be very funny, though, but it's hilarious <laughs> to me. <laughs> this didn't turn out very well. <laughs> um um, yeah. Uh, what else? Well, okay. We so I've got uh, I've got another one. Uh, if you if, if you like that one, uh, <laughs> if you like, stick with me. Here. Another one of these sort of understated uh, comments. These are always the ones that kind of catch my eye. This is um, when Thorbjorn and Herstein approach Thorkel's scarf to try to get his help, and they do this by sort of arriving with all of the uh, livestock that they've salvaged from Blunkettle's farm. And Thorkel's scarf comes out and says, you know, well, clearly there's been a problem. Uh, please, please, you know, put your, uh, your livestock out to pasture in my fields, store all your belongings here in my home, consider yourselves- uh, Anything I could do. Consider anything. yourself my guests. Uh, right. Anything I could do to help. He's probably rubbing his hands together because he's a real opportunity for, for some income. Absolutely. Here. Absolutely. Well, and, and honor, you know, obviously, because you're helping them out. And right. And sort of building up your own reputation for a generous man yeah. and so forth. Uh, and then when he learns that what's happened is that Blunkettle was burned and burned by, uh, a consortium of some relatively powerful men, Thorkel's re- reply is, well, I don't think I would have offered my assistance so quickly if I'd known that before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is something that's echoed later by right. um, uh, by uh, whatever his name is, uh, Thord Bellower. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, Gunnar actually does that as well. Yeah, everyone does. Yeah, oh no, every, no, nobody wants any part of this. 
<laughs> yeah, pretty much the whole second half is people going to other people's farms, withholding information <laughs> so that they get a promise from somebody. And then they say, oh, by the way, now you're bound right, to help right. me Sucker. in this horrible case. Very clever. Um, yeah, I'm gonna. Yeah, the next uh, one that I'm gonna add is uh, from Thorkel. Thorkel learned that trick right away, mm-hmm. and he's very clever. Um, but anyway, he goes over to uh, Gunnar Hlifarsson's house, and they get there late at night. And it's a farmhand that answers the door, and the farmhand makes it very clear that Gunnar is not in the habit of getting up late at mm-hmm. night and answering the door, especially when it's cold well, out. Just understand. And so he says. Yeah, he says, either you come in and make yourselves at home, mm-hmm. take a bed and go to sleep, and you can talk to Gunnar in the morning, or you can go on your merry way. <laughs> well, Which Thorkel, is fairly saucy. It is a little bit saucy, but it's all just it's late at night, and it's cold, and they don't want to deal with this. So Thorkel doesn't take kindly to this response, and he really, really wants to talk to Gunnar. And as we know, he wants to get him outside. He says to the farmhand, you do one of two things. Either go and do it properly as you're told, or I'll bounce the hilt of my sword off your nose. <laughs> this is fantastic. But anyway, the the, uh, the farmhand goes in and, and wakes up Gunnar and says, there's a very ornery man outside and I don't want to talk to him anymore. And that's how they get Gunnar outside. Mm-hmm. So I like that one. In fact, I think I'm going to vote for that one as my, my favorite because it's the as far as uh, being witty, that's the mm-hmm. most witty thing that's out there. The other ones are funny and in right, in they're kind contextually of a, a, funny, but yeah, yeah. But in terms of just a funny line, a, a witty line, uh, well placed, I think Thorkel gets it for me. Yep, I agree. Bouncing a sword pommel off your nose takes it. Oh, oh Lori, this is the moment that I've been waiting for <laughs> since I finished reading this saga, John. You know who I'm oh, voting keep for. Keep us in suspense, why don't you? Well, it's funny you should ask. I'm going to uh, suggest that we outlaw Hen Thorir. There's no question, Thorir. He's an awful person. Outlawry. It's all his. Let's go on. Let's move it's on to too Pinman. good for him. <laughs> well, yeah, let's, we can't move good. on just yet. I mean, for one thing, there are several other men to consider in this saga uh, who deserve. Wait, should a I list Hen Thorir's crimes before you dismiss him? Well, I'll remind you that he is a guilty of plenty. He is a money lender, John. Mm-hmm. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and then he forces his way into family mm-hmm. relationships by bribing mm-hmm. people. Although I don't know that any of them actually ever collects their half of his wealth that he promises. Right. He, he hands out half his wealth quite frequently. Yeah, he does. He gets Helgi that way, and then he gets <laughs> Thorvald that way. It's strange. And I, again, I don't mm-hmm. think any of them ever see the, a penny. And then he burns uh, Bloon Kettle mm-hmm. and kind of mocks him as it's happening. On... on- spurious grounds, right? I mean, sort of on the grounds that Helgi demanded it with his dying breath, which, of course, we know is not true. Yeah, he's a liar. Mm -hmm. And then he uh, establishes a sick cow ambush. (laughs) You want to outlaw him for having an incompetent ambush plan? (laughs) Yeah, you know, I I just can't tolerate that kind of thing. Fair enough. So, yeah, you know what? Thorir is a despicable, Uh, terrible person. Oh, and I didn't even mention the, the hay thing. Well, I grant you that it's a it's a strong case, uh, but for completeness' really. sake, <laughs> for completeness' sake, I feel I have to try. Uh, what about Arndrim the Gothi? Uh, no, who, I don't see uh, the he point. He participates in the burning. He does, um, but he's kind of he forced allies to by himself Hen-Thorir. with Henthor uh, right from the beginning. Uh, he is, remember, outlawed in the saga for his actions. 
Unlike he's outlawed for actions, but that's really more an issue of the kind of com- the competition of that region uh-huh. and chieftains trying to outdo other chieftains no, no. so that they can. No, no. he set fire to somebody's power. farm. <laughs> yeah, I guess you're right. He I mean, did he's, do that. <laughs> he is a convicted burner. Uh, <laughs> it's not. This is not just a political game. He killed a bunch of guys. Yeah, but who told him or well, set the burning right. up? That's what I want. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So there's that. Well, let me introduce a, a more reasonable person who actually did do some. Well, I shouldn't say Arngrim didn't do anything. He did. But <laughs> let, me, let me throw in someone who kind of started things in a similar way to uh-huh. Thorir. Orn the Norwegian. Really? Yeah. Who shot Helgi? Who set this whole thing in motion? Okay. Here's the problem. Orn, I, I understand you know what I'm you're not going to vote for him. I'm just throwing him out. I understand what you're saying. But how often have we seen someone in the moment of being provoked by the enemy, sort of throwing a spear or firing an arrow into the group of people, and, oh, somebody gets hit. Usually yeah, it's, it's some, it's some nameless guy or some farmhand or some visiting person from overseas. Actually, it's usually the Norwegian who gets shot. <laughs> and and we never care, right? Nobody ever looks at that and goes like, oh, what a horrible thing. Well, it's I'm sure their family's care, John. arrow happens to hit Helgi Arngrimson, who, as you said earlier, is sort of a decent fellow among all yeah. these jerks. And so we immediately think, you know, oh, what a terrible thing Orn did. Uh, but I think, you know, most of the time we wouldn't blink at the sort of behavior in a saga. So you're really trying to argue that shooting an arrow into a crowd of people is uh, okay behavior? Well, I'm arguing that it's certainly – it wouldn't stand out. <laughs> it's the kind of thing that just, just happens to- once in a while. If you're standing around in a crowd of people in Iceland – Chances are somebody's going to fire an arrow at you eventually. Well, that's not a very good uh, advertisement for uh, traveling to Iceland, is it? <laughs> well, medieval Iceland. It would be hard to travel there anyway. That's true. No, my, modern Iceland. I've been to Iceland. It's delightful and you hardly ever get shot at. <laughs> as far as you <laughs> this, know. This message you paid for by though. the Icelandic tourism board. <laughs> Come to Iceland. Yeah. You hardly ever get shot with an arrow. All right. So you're saying no Orn because he just uh, casually fired into a crowd of people. Right. I mean, but, if you're going to go for people yeah, who are dismissed. sort of, you know, tangentially related to what's going on, I think you make a much stronger case for someone like Tungu Odd. Really? Yeah, it was kind of the power behind all the chaos that goes on. Right. Well, but he doesn't get outlawed. He doesn't suffer at all for what happens. Well, he, of course not, because he's a very powerful man. That doesn't mean okay. we are no respecter of persons here at Saga Thick. We can outlaw anybody <laughs> we want. And I think if you look at Tungu Odd's behavior throughout, uh, you think about his uh, arrogance in trying to set prices for imported goods. You think about That's tradition. We see that in other sagas. You're making arguments about. You think uh, about his putting um, together 400 men and attacking Thord Bellower's men. At the river on their way Again, to Thingsness. Again, we see that all the time. That's exactly well, what a chieftain does when they're in when they're trying to defend their people. I I think we can certainly say we see it other times, but I think we also say that people generally look down on that sort of behavior. You know what? I would argue that if you look at your list of thingmen, uh-huh. out excluded, uh, some of them may be guilty for doing exactly what you're trying to outlaw. Actually, no. I've been going for character guys. Uh, oh, your you? crew. <laughs> On the other hand, Wait, you the have murderer's Snorri row Gothi. that you've got Hold over on. there. You've got Snorri Gothi. Yes, who is I do. I just wanted to hear you exactly, say it again. <laughs> exactly this kind of thing. He is the king of let's uh, not get into the actual thing. Let's fight outside of the thing. Yes. Uh, so I don't think we outlaw Tungu. All right, all right. I'm going to say that we go That's ahead a- and outlaw Henthor 
Yeah, let's uh, do that because uh, can't stand the guy. For the second time in three episodes, we're gonna have to outlaw the uh, the name of the saga, outlaw the eponymous figure. Yeah, that's very weird. I really would not have expected that. Well, Fanthor, well, don't the door hit you in the headless body on the way out? Big <laughs> <laughs> man. All right. Um. So it's time for us to choose our new thing man to join our cruise. Mm-hmm. Uh, we flipped a coin and I won the coin toss. Uh, and so uh, I get to go first and we've got, it's actually a really good saga for picking thing men out of. Uh, it is. There's some good characters here. Well, and there are so many uh, significant figures, you know, important figures who show up in saga after saga, uh, mm-hmm. really powerful men from this kind of middle range of the Commonwealth period. Yeah, I mean, if you're looking for big men uh, who have a lot of power, a lot of wealth, mm-hmm. uh, a great reputation, uh, there's somebody here for everyone. And you've got uh, Blundkettle, uh, mm-hmm. whose family is a very powerful family. Not just him, but sort of the reputation of his family over generations. Yeah. Uh, John, does Blundkettle show up in other sagas? Oh, yeah. Uh, he's yeah, not a several. I'm familiar with. Um, yes, he appears in several other sagas. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, He's, I wonder if he's always as noble and wonderful as he is in this saga uh, elsewhere. He's often just sort of in the background. Uh, so you don't really yeah, learn. I would imagine. I, f- I feel like I learned more about him in this saga than I knew before. Sure. Um, you've got Tungu Odd. Uh, mm-hmm. Perhaps, you know, a bit of a snorry character. Uh, you know, a little bit manipulative, a little bit sneaky. But uh, undeniably very powerful, very influential. Uh, another guy who shows up over and over again. Yeah, we see him basically, uh, the, the biggest sagas he's in is uh, Ale Saga mm-hmm. and Laxdal Saga. Mm-hmm. And there he's, again, a power broker. He's one of these big guys that comes in to help right. out um, characters in the all thing or with his military might and things like and that. And if you're looking for power brokers, I mean, Thord Bellower is, you know, yeah. as big as they come. I mean, you think about Absolutely. Air Biggest Saga. I mean, this is the guy they call in when an entire region is in armed conflict and cannot re- reconcile itself. And he's sort of called in, and his authority is such that he sort of uh, uh, asserts, okay, the mountain is no longer holy for assembly purposes, and everyone just accepts that. Right. Uh, that there's a man who carries some weight. And then you've also got a couple of guys who are just sort of noble figures who are more specific to this saga. Uh, Thorkel Scarf, uh, mm-hmm. Herstein Blundkettelson, uh, even yeah. Gunnar Lieferson. Right. Uh, you've got some some decent guys in this saga. You know, not not and famous say, figures, as as but just just good wholesome salt of the earth. Even Thorbjorn, who's uh, we didn't include him in the nicknames, but his nickname is Strider, which I that's thought was true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fascinating. Um, Thorbjorn Strider is uh, also a really nice guy mm-hmm. and very smart. He's able to set up Thorkel Scarf mm-hmm. brilliantly, and apparently he can disappear. Right. Yeah. There's that oh, whole sort of odd moment when he <laughs> vanishes at the burned farm. And supposedly, well, yeah, according to Theodore M. Anderson, he vanishes. Right. I didn't catch. That I've always just text. read it as he wandered off and he sort of comes back with the livestock. I didn't. I never really read it as that he performs a vanishing act. But apparently, that's no, how Anderson. The saga says he disappears, right. but again, we just thought he went into the building, or right? Kind of. Right. He's sort of hiding behind, behind some a couch. <laughs> uh, uh, so yeah, well, you want okay. a magical guy like yeah, that? Yeah. So I mean, I've got six or seven different names to choose from here. I think what I want in a thing man at this point. I want somebody who can bring people together. I want somebody who can build alliances, build connections, oh, no. build kin groups. Uh, You're picking the guy I want. I think uh, I think I have to reach out to a man whose voice bounces off <laughs> the countryside, a man who bellows like a bull. I want Thord Yeller in my camp. See, I was convinced you were going to pick Tungu on because <laughs> he's he's – 
a little bit more powerful and more modern than uh, a Thord Bellor. He is, but, uh, you know, he's he's the poor man's Snorri, and I've already got the rich man's Snorri, so... <laughs> <laughs> well, then I'm going to have to dismiss him as an old man who's not really worth his salt. <laughs> Damn. Got me there. I, I was all ready to pick him. <laughs> well... I guess, you know, for me, I have to then choose between two people. Mm-hmm. I've got to choose between Tungu Ad for his power mm-hmm. and his reputation mm-hmm. and his fame. I mean, he's really yeah. he's really one of these guys who everyone knows his name. Right. Blundkettle is my other character. Okay. And, you know, I leave this saga really liking Blundkettle. Of course, I'm supposed to. It's written that way. Right. Right. He's the but, sort of tragic figure, right? But he, it's it's not really the, just that he's a tragic figure. It's his behavior. He mm-hmm. represents all that is good and wholesome in mankind. Mm-hmm. That strikes a chord with me. So the question why? is, do I want... Why? <laughs> <laughs> Let's not get into my deep, dark secrets. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I really admire a character like him who is willing to sacrifice everything he has, or at least 40 of what he has <laughs> for his uh, for his men. But you know he he tries very hard throughout the uh, the saga when he's alive mm-hmm. anyway to to provide for people and to use his foresight to make sure everyone's happy. Um, Blunkettle's a great great choice, but Tungu Odd, <laughs> he's got name recognition power. He's basically got everything that Thor Bellower has. Mm-hmm. And if I want to keep uh, even with you, it seems like he's the one to take, especially because you can get him at a later date, and I don't want that to happen. So. <laughs> That's true. He's going to show up again. Tungu Odd, welcome to the fold. I'll just hope Bloomkettle shows up in a crappy saga, and I'll pick him then. <laughs> so, so I'm taking Tungu Odd. Interesting choice. That shows a desire to win rather than a desire to make good moral decisions. This is the Icelandic saga. Fair thing, enough. Right? So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. When so, in Iceland. So Thord Bellower for me, Tungu Odd for you. Uh, excellent. Mm-hmm. Good choices all around, I think. Final, Final rating. rating. All right. Now, we noted at the beginning of this podcast that this was a short saga. Mm-hmm. Like Hrofenkel, it manages to accomplish a whole lot in a small space. And I kind of find myself wavering back and forth to which one do I like better, mm-hmm. uh, which I didn't expect to have happen. Um, it's really tightly structured, and it's a cleverly told story. In fact, I think it's more clever and engaging in some ways than Hrofenkel's saga is. Ooh, that's Those big words. Those are big words, but here's here's why I think so. One of the greatest successes of the saga is its ability to make me feel something genuine for its characters. Mm-hmm. Whether it's the bile provoking uh, Henthor, whether it's the bile provoking Henthor, or the inspiring and admirable Bloomkettle, who I just dismissed from my Thingman group. <laughs> <laughs> you look at it, however, however you look at it, that's saying a lot. And I don't know that I ever felt that connected to any of the characters in Hrofenkel's saga in the way that I do for those in Henthor's saga. I'm also a big fan of the second half of the saga. Mm-hmm. And that's where we find the links in a chain of allegiance being forged in large part through cleverness and trickery. The whole thing's really well written and brilliantly plotted out. Now, it's not all sunshine and roses. <laughs> I, I'm going to dock at some points for a couple of reasons. Um, as much as I enjoy the second half, I find myself frustrated by the quick pace of the thing after Hairstein's alliance and the chieftains is formed. We rush through that developing conflict so quickly, we never really get a sense of it and appreciation for what's happening. We get next to nothing from the battle scenes, and even when Henthor is beheaded, it's presented almost as an afterthought. Mm-hmm. It's just too rushed to be an effective conclusion to an otherwise great story. 
but the saga has a lot going for it. And I won't soon forget this saga. I won't soon forget these characters and the story. And that's really saying something because some of these sagas can blend together. I'm going to score it a little higher than I thought I would. I'm giving it a little bit better score than Hrofenkel. I'm going with Henthor's saga at seven. Seven. All right. Fair enough. Much higher than I thought I would. Yeah, no, I... uh, um... I'm not surprised to hear that. I mean, I I kind of had a similar reaction. Uh, I came into this expecting it to be kind of you know medium mediocre score, uh, and there's no question but that this saga has a lot going for it, a lot more than I had remembered from previous readings. Uh, yeah. There's a fair amount of intrigue among the central characters. There's uh, an entertainingly conniving villain. I mean, he's you know he's scum, but he's entertaining scum. <laughs> Henthor is a guy you love to hate. Uh, yeah, that's definitely true. There are several instances of really clever writing. Um, I like that. On the other hand, it's it's hard to find a truly sympathetic figure in the story. I mean, unless we count Blundkettle or his son, Harristein. And I don't think I do. Um, they, it's not that I don't find them sympathetic. It's that I don't find myself, in the end, deeply caring about them. Um, so like a number of other sagas, this story focuses on the selfish machinations of the powerful as a destructive force in the Commonwealth. I enjoy those stories, but the best ones give me a clear stake in the outcome of events. That's I enjoy the saga, but there's a lack of depth even to the sympathetic figures. I don't feel like I know Blundkettle the way I know, say, a Gizli uh, or or some or even a Snorri. Um, mm-hmm. And although those are rare, rare absolutely. characters that absolutely. are so well defined. Fair enough. Uh, and the legal issues, the hay laws, and things like that. Although I always find them interesting. In some ways, they only muddy the waters further as far as the sort of the motivations of the characters. Uh, so I'm happy that the saga is as good as it is, and I want to recommend it to people. Um, but there's this bit of me that's saying, but it's Norwegian propaganda in favor of Halos, and you can't rate that too highly. Um, <laughs> really? That's... <laughs> why uh, is that? But it's it's well-written, very It's well-written propaganda. Uh, yeah. So I'm gonna I'm I'm actually coming in very close to you. I'm gonna give it a six point five, uh, which is actually again it's it's half a point higher than I gave Ravenkel. Uh and I'll probably feel like this was a little bit generous uh, tomorrow mm-hmm. or by the time it goes up on the website. Uh, but I'll <laughs> I'll stick to it. Six point five. Great. So th- you know for for one of the shorter sagas, this is a, a pretty high scoring saga. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Uh, and and deservedly so. I think this is. One of those hidden gems that people really should read more than they do. I think so, too. All right. Well, that wraps it up for us. Uh, next time, we're going to be taking on... Um, oh, we have a special episode coming up. That's right. We time. do. Uh, we're going to hopefully, uh, uh, in the next few weeks, put a, together an episode in which we'll step aside from the usual saga thing uh, mode. And we'll look at some materials connected to the historical figure of Ragnar Lothbrok. All of this, of course, being in honor of the return of the television show Vikings on History Absolutely. Channel. So we look forward to doing right. that. Right. So we're going to look at those, the materials connected to his name, uh, talk a little bit about um, the sort of that uh, smudged line between history and uh, fiction that you find in the sagas, and maybe talk a little bit about the show itself, uh, which I know Andy has sort of been champing at the bit to talk about. And which I have to admit, I recently received from Amazon and haven't had a chance to watch yet. Well, then you have so some I'll be to do. watching it before before our next episode, and then we can talk a little bit about it. In the meantime, check out our website, sagathingpodcast.wordpress.com, where you can participate in polls, read some history, find some videos, and download old episodes. Also, follow us on Twitter at sagathingpod and on Facebook at sagathingpodcast. 
We'll see you next time with Sagas of Ragnar Lothbrok. Bye for now. Again, I don't know what you want me to say about that, but yes. <laughs> I just want you to seem interested. <laughs> I'm I not. hate it when you're so cold and silent. <laughs>